Watership Down, Chapter 33, The Great River. When Hazel woke, he started up at once, for the air around him was full of sharp cries of some creature hunting. He looked quickly round, but could see no sign of alarm. It was evening. Several of the rabbits were already awake and feeding on the edge of the wood. He realized that the cries urgent and startling though they were, were too small and shrill for any kind of allele. They came from above his head. A bat flittered through the trees and out again without touching a twig. It was followed by another. Hazel could sense that there were many all about, taking flies and moths on the wing and uttering their minute cries as they flew. A human ear would hardly have heard them, but to rabbits, the air was full of their calls. Outside the wood, the field was still bright with evening sunshine, but among the firs, the light was dusky, and here the bats were coming and going thickly. Mixed with the resinous scent of the firs, there came another smell, strong and fragrant, yet sharp. The perfume of flowers, but of some kind unknown to Hazel, he followed it to its source at the edge of the wood. It came from several thick patches of soapboard growing along the edge of the pasture. Some of the plants were not yet in bloom. Their buds curled in pink pointed spirals held in the pale green calluses, but most were already star flowering and giving off their strong scent. The bats were hunting among the flies and moths attracted to the soapboard. Hazel passed Fraka and began to feed on the field. He was disturbed to find that his hind leg was troubling him. He had thought that it was healed, but the forced journey over the downs had evidently provided too much, proved too much for the muscle torn by the shotgun pellets. He wondered whether it was far to the river of which Kehar had spoken. If it was, he was in for trouble. Hazel Ra, said Pipkin, coming up from among the soapboard. Are you all right? Your leg looks queer. You're dragging it. No, it's all right, said Hazel. Look, Larue, where's Kehar? I want to see him. He's flown out to see if there's a patrol anywhere near Hazelra. Bigwig spoke some time ago, and he asked Silver and Kehar to go. They didn't want to disturb you. Hazel felt irritated. It would have been better to be told at once which way to go, rather than wait while Kehar looked for patrols. They were going to cross a river, and as far as he was concerned, they could not do it too soon. Fretting, he waited for Kehar. Soon, he had become as tense and nervous as he had ever been in his life. He was beginning to believe that after all, he might have been rash. It was clear that Holly had not underrated the danger near Ephrathah. He had little doubt that Bigwig, by sheer chance, had led the fox onto a wide patrol which had been following their trail. Then in the morning, again by luck and the help of Kehar, they had evidently just missed another at the crossing of the Iron Road. Perhaps Silver's fear was well-founded, and a patrol had already spotted and reported them without their knowing. Had General Woundwort got some sort of Kehar of his own? Perhaps a bat was at this moment talking to him. 
He was one to foresee and guard against everything. The grass seemed sour, the sunshine chilly. Hazel sat hunched under the firs, worrying dismally. He felt less annoyed now with Bigwig. He could understand his feelings. Waiting was bad. He fidgeted for some kind of action, just as he had decided to wait no longer, but to collect everyone and go immediately. Kehar came flying down from the direction of the cutting. He flapped clumsily down among the firs, silencing the bats. Mr. Hazel, he's no rabbits. I think maybe they no like for go across Iron Road. Good. Is it far to the river, Kehar? Nah, nah, it's close. In wood. Splendid. We can find this crossing in daylight? Yeah, yeah, I'll show you a bridge. <coughs> the rabbits had gone only a short distance through the wood when they sensed that they were already near the river. The ground became soft and damp. They could smell sedge and water. Suddenly the harsh, vibrating cry of a moorhen echoed through the trees, followed by the flapping of wings and a watery scuttling. The rustling of the leaves seemed also to echo, as though reflected distantly from hard ground. A little further on, they could distinctly hear the water itself, the low, continuous pouring of a shallow fall. A human being hearing from a distance the noise of a crowd can form an idea of its size. The sound of the river told the rabbits that it must be bigger than any they had known before. Wide, smooth, and swift, pausing among the comfrey and ground elder. They stared at each other, seeking reassurance. Then they began to lollop hesitantly forward into more open ground. There was still no river to be seen but in front they could perceive a flicker and dance of mirrored light in the air. Soon afterward, Hazel, limping ahead with Fiverr near him, found himself on a narrow green path that divided the wilderness from the riverbank. The path was almost as smooth as a lawn and clear of bushes and weeds, for it was kept cut for fishermen. Along its further side, the riparian plants grew thick, thickly, so that it was separated from the river by a kind of hedge of purple loosestrife, great willow herb, fleabane, figwort, and hemp agrimony, here and there already in bloom. Two or three more of the rabbits emerged from the woods. Peering through the plant clumps, they could catch glimpses of the smooth, glittering river, evidently much wider and swifter than the endborn. Although there was no enemy or other danger to be perceived, they felt apprehension and doubt of those who have come unawares upon some awe-inspiring place. They themselves are paltry fellows of no account. When Marco Polo came at last to Cafe 700 years ago, he did not feel, and did his heart not falter as he realized that this great and splendid capital of an empire had had its being all the years of his life and far longer, and that he had been ignorant of it that it was in need of nothing from him, from Venice, from Europe, that it was full of wonders beyond his understanding, that his arrival was a matter of no importance whatever. We know that he felt these things, and so has many a traveler in foreign parts who did not know what he was going to find.
There's nothing that cuts you down to size like coming to some strange and marvelous place where no one even stops to notice that you stare about you. The rabbits were uneasy and confused. They crouched on the grass, sniffing the water smells in the cooling sunset air. They moved close together, each hoping not to see in the others the nervousness he felt in himself. As Pipkin reached the path, a great shimmering dragonfly, four inches long, all emerald and sable, appeared at his shoulder, hovered droning and motionless, and was gone. Like lightning, into the sedge. Pipkin leapt back in alarm. As he did so, as he did so, there came a shrill, vibrant cry, and he caught sight between the plants of a brilliant azure bird flying past over the open water. A few moments later, there came from the close, from close behind that plant hedge, the sound of a he fairly heavy splash. But what creature might have made it, there was no telling. Looking round for Hazel, Pipkin caught sight of Kehar a little way off, standing in a patch of shallow water between two clumps of willow herb. He was stabbing and snapping at something in the mud, and after a few moments pulled out a six-inch leech and swallowed it whole beyond him some distance down the path. Hazel was combing the goose grass out of his coat and evidently listening as to fiber as they sat together under the low dungeon. Pipkin ran along the bank and joined them. There's nothing wrong with the place, Fiverr was saying. There's no more danger here than anywhere else. Kehar is going to show us where to get across, isn't he? The thing to do is to get on with it before it gets dark. We'll never stop here, replied Hazel. We can't stay and wait for Bigwig in a place like this. It's unnatural for rabbits. Yes, we can. Calm down. They'll get used to it quicker than you think. I tell you, it's better than one or two other places we've been in. Not all strange things are bad. Would you like me to take them over? Say it's because of your leg. Fine, said Hazel. Laru, can you get everyone along here? When Pipkin had gone, he said, I feel troubled, Fiverr. I'm asking so much of them. And there are so many risks in this plan. They're a better lot than you give them credit for, replied Fiverr. If you were to... Kehar called raucously across, startling a wren out of the bushes. Mr. Hazel, what for you wait? To know where to go, answered Fiverr. Bridge near. You go on, you see. Where they were, the undergrowth stood close to the green path. But beyond, downstream, as they all intuitively felt, it gave way to open parkland. Out into this they went, Hazel following Fiverr. Hazel did not know what a bridge was. It was another of Kehar's unknown words that he did not feel up to questioning. Despite his trust in Kehar and his respect for his wide experience, he felt still more disturbed as they came into the open. Clearly, this was some sort of man place, frequented and dangerous. A short way ahead was a road. 
He could see its smooth, unnatural surface stretching away over the grass. He stopped and looked at it. At length, when he was sure there were no men anywhere near, he went cautiously up to the verge. The road crossed the bridge. The road crossed the river on a bridge about 30 feet long. It did not occur to Hazel that there was anything unusual in this. The idea of a bridge was beyond him. He saw only a line of stout posts and rails on either side of the road. Similarly, simple African villagers who have never left their remote homes may not be particularly surprised by their first sight of an airplane. It is outside their comprehension. But their first sight of a horse pulling a cart will set them pointing and laughing at the ingenuity of the fellow who thought of that. <clears throat> Hazel saw, without surprise, the road crossing the river. What worried him was that where it did so, there were only very narrow verges of short grass offering no cover. His rabbits would be exposed to view and unable to bolt except along the road. Do you think we can risk it, Fiverr? he asked. I can't see why you're bothered, answered Fiverr. He went into a farmyard, and the shed where the hutch rabbits were, this is much less dangerous. Come on, they're all watching while we hesitate. Fiverr hopped out on the road. He looked round for a moment, and then made his way to the nearer end of the bridge. Hazel followed him along the verge, keeping close beside the rail on the upstream side. Looking round, he saw Pipkin close behind. In the middle of the bridge, Fiverr, who was perfectly calm and unhurried, stopped and sat up. The other two joined him. Let's put on a bit of an act, said Fiverr. Make them inquisitive. They'll follow us just to see what we're looking at. There was no sill along the edge of the bridge. They could have walked off it into the water three feet below. From under the lowest rail, they looked out upstream. And now for the first time, they saw the whole river plainly. If the bridge had not startled Hazel, the river did. He remembered the endborn, its broken, its surface broken by gravel, spits, and plant growth. The test, a weed cut, carefully tended trout stream, seemed to him like a world of water. A good ten yards it was, fast flowing and smooth, spangling and dazzling in the evening sun. The tree reflections on the even current were unbroken as on a lake. There was not a reed or a plant to be seen above the water. Close by, under the left bank, a bed of crowfoot trailed downstream, the wheel-like leaves all submerged. Darker still, almost black, were the mats of water moss, their thick masses motionless on the bed of the river and only the trailing fronds waving slowly from side to side. Waving, too, were the wider expanses of pale green crestwood, but these rippled with the current lightly and quickly. The water was very clear, with a bed of clean yellow gravel, and even in the middle was hardly four feet deep. As the rabbits stared down, they could discern here and there a very fine scour like smoke chalk and powdered gravel carried along by the river as dust is blown by the wind. Suddenly from under the bridge with a languid movement of its flat tail swam a gravel-colored fish 
as long as a rabbit. The watchers immediately above could see the dark, vivid spots along its sides. Warily, it hung in the current below them, undulating from side to side. It reminded Hazel of the cat in the yard. As they stared, it swam upwards with a leaf flicker that stopped just below the surface. A moment later, its blunt nose thrust clear of the stream, and they saw the open mouth, pure white inside. Rhythmically, without haste, it sucked down a floating hedge, a sedge fly, and sank back under the water. A ripple spread outward in subsiding circles, breaking both the reflections and the transparency. Gradually, the the stream grew smooth, and once more they saw the fish below, waving its tail as it held its place in the current. A water hawk, said Fiverr. So they hunt and eat down there, too. Don't fall in, Hlaru. Remember El Arira and the pike. Would he eat me? asked Pipkin, staring. There may be creatures in there that could, said Hazel. How do we know? Come on, let's get across. What would you do if a hoodoo came? Run, said Fiverr simply, like this. And he scurried off the further end of the bridge into the grass beyond. On this far side of the river, undergrowth and a grove of great horse chestnuts extended almost down to the bridge. The ground was marshy, but at least there was plenty of cover. Fiverr and Pipkin began at once on some scrapes, while Hazel sat chewing pellets and resting his injured leg. Soon they were joined by Dandelion and Silver, but the other rabbits, more hesitant even than Hazel, remained crouching in the long grass on the right bank. At last, just before darkness fell, Fiverr recrossed the bridge and coaxed them to follow him back. Bigwig, to everyone's surprise, showed considerable reluctance and only crossed in the end after Kehar returning from another flight over Ephrafa had asked whether he would like him to go and fetch a fox. The night that followed seemed to all of them disorganized and precarious. Hazel, still conscious of being in man country, was half expecting either a dog or a cat, but although they heard owls more than once, no allele attacked them, and by morning they were in better spirits. As soon as they had fed, Hazel set them to exploring the surroundings. It became even more plain that the ground near the river was too wet for rabbits. Indeed, in places it was almost a bog. Marsh sedge grew there, pink, sweet-scented valerian, and the drooping water avens. Silver reported that it was drier up in the woodland away from the bank. And at first, Hazel had the idea of picking a fresh spot and digging again, but presently the day grew so hot and humid that all activity was quenched. The faint breeze vanished. The sun drew up a torpid moisture from the watery thickets. The smell of water mint filled the hydrophanic air. The rabbits crept into the shade under any cover that offered. Long before Nefrith, all were drowsing in the undergrowth. It was not until the dappled afternoon began to grow cool that Hazel awoke suddenly to find Kehar beside him. The gull was strutting from side to side with short, quick steps, 
and pecking impatiently in the long grass. Kehara sat up quickly. Or Hazel sat up quickly. What is it, Kehara? Not a patrol. Nah, nah. He's all fine for sleep. Like bloody owls. Maybe I go for a big water. Mr. Hazel, you getting mothers now? Soon? What for fate now? No, you're right, Kehara. We must start now. The trouble is I I can see how to start, but not how to finish. Hazel made his way through the grass, roused the first rabbit he found, who happened to be Bluebell, and sent him to fetch Bigwig, Blackberry, and Fiverr. When they came, he took them to join Kehara on the short grass of the riverbank. This is the problem, Blackberry, he said. You remember that we were down under the down that evening. I said, we should have to do three things. Get the does out of Ephrafa, break up the pursuit, and then get right away so that they wouldn't find us. This plan you've thought up is clever. It'll do first two things, all right. I'm sure of that. But what about the last one? The Ephrafin rabbits are fast and savage. They'll find us if we're to be found. And I don't believe we can run away faster than they can follow, especially with a lot of does who've never been out of Ephrafa. We couldn't possibly stand and fight them to a finish. We're too few. And on top of that, my leg seems to be bad again. So what's to be done? I don't know, answered Blackberry. But obviously we shall need to disappear. Could we swim the river? No scent then, you know. It's too swift, said Hazel. We'd be carried away. But even if we did swim it, we couldn't count on not being followed. From what I've heard of these Africans, they'd certainly swim the river if they thought that we had. What, what it comes to is that with Kehar to help us, we can break up a pursuit while we're getting the does out. But they'll know which way we've gone, and they won't leave it at that. No, you're right. We've got to vanish without a trace so that they can't even track us. But how? I don't know, said Blackberry again. Shall we go up the river a little way and have a look at it? Perhaps there's somewhere we could use for a hiding place. Can you manage with your leg? If we don't go too far, said Hazel. Can I come, Hazelrow? asked Bluebell, who had been waiting about a little way off. Yes, all right, said Hazel, good-naturedly, good as he began to limp along the bank upstream. They soon realized that the woodland on the left bank was lonely, <coughs> thick, and overgrown, denser than the nut copses and bluebell woods of Sandalford. Several times they heard the drumming of a great woodpecker, the shyest of birds. As Blackberry was suggesting that perhaps they might look for a hiding place somewhere in this jungle, they became aware of another sound, the falling water, which they had heard on their approach the day before. Soon they reached a place where the river curved round in a bend from the east, and here they came upon the broad, shallow fall. It was no more than a foot high, one of those artificial falls common on the chalk streams made to attract trout. Several were already rising to the evening hatch of fly. Just above the fall, a plank footbridge across the river. Kehar flew up, circled the pool, and perched on the handrail. This is more sheltered and lonely than the bridge we crossed last night, said Blackberry. Perhaps we could make some use of it. 
You didn't know about this bridge, Kahar, did you? Nah, not know, not see him. But he's good bridge. No one come. I'd like to go across, Hazel Ra, said Blackbird. Well, Fiverr's the rabbit for that, replied Hazel. He simply, he simply loves crossing bridges. You carry on. I'll come behind with Bigwig and Bluebell here. The five rabbits hopped slowly along the planks, their great sensitive ears full of the sound of falling water. Hazel, who was not sure of his footing, had to stop several times. When at length he reached the further side, he found that Fiverr and Blackberry had already gone a little way downstream below the fall and were looking at some large object sticking out of the bank. At first, he thought that it must be a fallen tree trunk, but as he came closer, he saw that although it was certainly wooden, it was not round, but flat or nearly flat with raised edges, some man thing. He remembered how once long ago, sniffing over a farm rubbish heap with fiber, he had come upon a similar object, large, smooth, and flat. That had, in fact, been an old discarded door. It had been of no use to them then, and they had left it alone. His inclination now was to leave this alone, too. One end of the thing was pressed into the bank, but along its length it diverged, sticking out slightly into the stream. There were ripples around it, for under the banks the current was as swift as in midstream on account of the weed cutting and the sound camp shooting. As Hazel came nearer, he saw that Blackberry had actually scrambled on the thing. His claws made a faint hollow sound on the wood, so there must be water underneath. Whatever it might be, the thing did not extend downward to the bottom. It was lying on the water. What are you after, Blackberry? He asked rather sharply. Food, replied Blackberry. Flare out. Can't you smell it? Kehar had alighted on the middle of the thing and was snapping away at something white. Blackberry scuttled along the wood toward him and began to nibble at some kind of green stuff. After a little while, Hazel also ventured out on the wood and sat in the sunshine, watching the flies on the warm, varnished surface and sniffing the strange river smells that came up from the water. What is this man thing, Kehar? he asked. Is it dangerous? Nah, no dangerous. You not know? His boat at Big Vater is many, many boat. Men make them go on water. It's no harm. Kehar went on pecking at the broken pieces of stale bread. Blackberry, who had finished the fragments of lettuce that he had found, was sitting up and looking over the very low side, watching a stone-colored, black-spotted trout swim up and fall. The boat was a miniature punt used for reed-cutting, little more than a raft with a single thwart amidships. Even when it was unmanned, as now, there were only a few inches of freeboard. You know, said Fiverr from the bank, seeing you sitting there reminds me of that other wooden thing that you found when the dog was in the wood and you got Pipkin and me across the river. Do you remember? I remember shoving you along, said Bigwig. It was jolly cold. What puzzles me, said Blackberry, is why this boat thing doesn't go along. Everything in this river goes along, and fast, too. See there? He looked out at a piece of stick floating down on 
the even two mile an hour current. So what's stopping this thing from going? Kehar had a short way with Landlubber's manner, which he sometimes used to those of the rabbits that he did not particularly like. Blackberry was not one of his favorites. He preferred straightforward characters such as Bigwig, Buckthorn, and Silver. It's rope. You like bite him? Then you go dang quick. All the way. Yes, yes, I see, said Fiverr. The rope goes round that metal thing where Hazel is sitting, and the other end is fixed on the bank there. It's like a stalk of big leaf. You could gnaw it through, and the leaf, the boat, would drop off the bank. Well, anyway, let's go back now, said Hazel, rather dejectedly. I'm afraid we don't seem to be any nearer to finding what we're looking for, Kehar. Can you possibly wait until tomorrow? I had the idea that we might all move to somewhere a bit drier before tonight, higher up in the wood, away from the river. Oh, what a pity, said Bluebell. Do you know, I'd quite decided to become a water rabbit. A what? asked Bigwig. A water rabbit, repeated Bluebell. Well, there are water rats and water beetles, and Pipkin says last night he saw a water hawk. So why not a water rabbit? I shall float merrily along. Great golden frith on a hill, cried Blackberry suddenly. Great jumping rab scuttle. That's it. That's it. Bluebell, you shall be a water rabbit. He began leaping and skipping about on the bank and cuffing Fiverr with his front paws. Don't you see, Fiverr? Don't you see? We bite the rope and off we go. And General Woonwart doesn't know. Fiverr paused. Yes, I do see, he replied at length. You mean on the boat? I must say, Blackberry, you're a clever fellow. I remember now that after we had crossed that other river, you said that the floating trick might come in handy again sometime. Here, wait a minute, said Hazel. We're just simple rabbits, Bigwig and I. Do you mind explaining? Then and there, while the black gnats settled on their ears, by the plank bridge and the pouring waterfall, Blackberry and Fiverr explained. Could you just go and try the rope, Hazel Ra, added Blackberry, when he had finished. It may be too thick. They went back to the punt. No, it's not, said Hazel. It's stretched tight, of course, which makes it easier to gnaw. I can gnaw that, all right. Yeah, he's good, said Kehar. You go fine, but you do him quick, yeah? Maybe something change. Man, come, take boat, you know? There's nothing more to wait for, said Hazel. Go on, Bigwig, straight away. And may Elarira go with you. And remember, you're the leader now. Send word by Kehar what you want us to do. We shall all be there, ready to back you up. Afterward, they all remembered how Bigwig had taken his orders. No one could say that he did not practice what he preached. He hesitated a few moments and then looked squarely at Hazel. It's sudden, he said. I wasn't expecting it tonight, but that's all to the good. I hated waiting. See you later. He touched his nose to Hazel's, turned, and hopped away into the undergrowth. A few minutes later, guided by Kehar, he was running up the open pasture north of the river, straight for the brick arch in the overgrown railway embankment and the fields that lay beyond. Dun dun dun! <laughs>